The day these players have been waiting for has finally arrived. The dream to play professionally remained strong, even when they were met with adversity at almost every turn. Talking to many of the players, they know the history, they know what it took to get here, and they honor that, but now they just want to play hockey. They just want people to talk about hockey. With a sellout crowd and many, many more watching in Canada and the USA, I would say the fans are ready for some hockey. And it is Toronto and New York who are playing the inaugural match of the PWHL as we welcome you back inside the Madden. The fans are ready for more hockey, and the ladies have been ready to deliver it so far as the Professional Women's Hockey League is off to a great start in 2024. The nascent league has been attracting eyes and dazzling with its play early on, proving that there's room in North America for women to take the ice. But this is the fourth swing at establishing a pro women's league this century, and the question is, what makes the PWHL different from its predecessors? Today, ESPN senior NHL writer Greg Wyshynski takes us through the PWHL's inception, explores the history of women's professional hockey in North America, and tells us why there's optimism that this time, it'll stick. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Wednesday, February 14th. This is ESPN Daily. Greg Wyshynski, when most sports fans think of women's athletics, they usually aren't thinking about hockey, quite frankly. But that may be changing as we are in the midst of the inaugural season of the Professional Women's Hockey League, or PWHL. What is the PWHL, sir? And how did it come about? Well, the league officially announced operations in August 2023, which meant a mad dash to get the six-team league ready for its January 2024 expected launch date. Now, this meant doing everything from organizing a 15-round draft to finding venues for the teams to play in. It went so quickly, the teams don't even have nicknames. The league started its first season in January. It's financed by Los Angeles Dodgers co-owner Mark Walter, and it was born out of the purchase and dispersal of the Premier Hockey Federation, which had been the leading pro women's hockey league for a few years. The big names involved in the Walter Group included Mark and Kimber Walter. Walter is controlling owner of the Dodgers, has ownership in the Lakers, Chelsea Football Club, and the WNBA's Los Angeles Sparks. Now, there's a couple of other interesting names involved in the PWHL. Stan Kasdan was once the president of the much-missed NHL Atlanta Thrashers. Mm. Uh, never forget. Uh, he's a PHWL board member along with tennis legend Billie Jean King and sports executive Ilana Kloss. Now, the goal with the PWHL was to create one league for women's hockey. It's something that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said was essential for his league to work more closely in partnership with the Women's Hockey League. Yeah. Clearing out the Premier Hockey Federation was an essential step to that end. But the biggest step in putting this league on solid footing was an eight-year collective bargaining agreement between the players and the league that gave its financial backers cost certainty moving forward and the players a good idea of what their salary range was going to be. The low end of the salary structure is $35,000. The height is $80,000, excluding bonuses, with salaries rising by 3% annually throughout the duration of the eight-year agreement. Okay, so we're going to get into the specifics of a lot of these internecine 
sort of details about leagues and so forth, but more generally, for those who don't know, set the table for me here a bit. Just how big is women's hockey globally, and what is the appetite internationally, never mind just in this country? Well, there's an appetite. Um, From 2000 to 2018, women's hockey participation globally rose nearly 34%, according to the International Ice Hockey Federation. Olympic hockey was a huge reason why. And, you know, it feels like women's Olympic hockey has been with us forever, right? Um, It always seems like it's been a part of the Winter Games. But it only actually started back in 1998, the same year that the NHL first sent its players to the Olympics. So in the grand scheme of things, it's still kind of a new sport to the Olympics. Now, to call the power in women's hockey a little lopsided would be an understatement. Canada won gold five times. The U.S. won gold twice. There's only been one Olympic final in 2006 where it wasn't Canada versus the U.S., It's even worse at the International Ice Hockey Federation World Championships, which started back in 1990. USA and Canada have appeared in the final of the now annual event every tournament save for once in 2019. So it's basically like the USA and Canada and then like everybody else. Mm. In 2021-22, USA Hockey reported there were close to 88,000 women registered to play hockey across all ages in the U.S. In the PWHL draft... We had 286 eligible players from 17 different countries declared for it. Hmm. The league actually reached out to the captains of all the different national teams around the globe to announce the opportunity to play in North America. And the PWHL feels like it's going to be a very big part of the global hockey community. So through just a little bit more than a month of action, how successful has this venture been, Greg? So I've covered other incarnations of women's pro leagues through the years. And I got to say, there's no comparison to the PWHL. They've had the most successful launch of a women's pro league I've ever seen in hockey, even with their rush to get to the starting line. The first PWHL game drew 8,300 fans, which was the biggest crowd ever for a women's professional hockey game. Sign free agent Alex Carpenter, and she'll take the draw in New York. Wins at Shelton with her stick on that, and she gets it! Ella Shelton scores! History is hers! What a moment for Ella Shelton. That was eclipsed five days later when 13,316 people saw Minnesota shut out Montreal at XL Energy Center where the Minnesota Wild play. Here we go. Bingo. Guess who? Hat trick. Grace Sumwinkle. PWHL teams in Boston, Minnesota, New York, Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa, they've combined to draw nearly 5,000 fans a game for a total of over 106,000 fans through 22 games. But the biggest difference for me has been the way that the NHL has embraced this league so quickly. PWHL had 24 players take part in a 20-minute three-on-three game that was held on the Thursday of NHL All-Star Weekend in Toronto. And Harmon, two deep partners from Clarkson University, formerly now. I was there. I walked out in the arena. I thought, okay, the NHL guys are done. Everybody's going to leave. No, not at all. There was so many filled seats to watch the three-on-three game that the PWHL took part in 
It was really inspiring to see them get that platform, get that spotlight, and the fans responding in kind. Coming up, the precursors to the PWHL. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Greg, as we mentioned, we're about a month into the existence overall of the PWHL, and the league has been able to capture some excitement early on. But this isn't the first iteration of high-level women's hockey in North America, no. No, not at all. Uh, women's hockey dates all the way back to 1891, which is the first time the sport was mentioned in an Ottawa newspaper. The first women's club team was formed at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. They had one of my favorite names in sports history. They were called the Love Me Littles, which was a knock on how little the team received support from men. <laughs> so just a brilliant name. Amazing bit, yeah. It's a great bit, right. The biggest innovation in women's hockey, though, outside of the success of the national teams, came in 2007. That's when the Canadian Women's Hockey League was formed and eventually expanded to the U.S. and as far as China. And then came the National Women's Hockey League, which was founded by Danny Ryland in 2015 as the first women's pro league to pay its players a salary. Danny Ryland is a former NCAA women's hockey player who skated for the Northeastern Huskies. She also played for a season on a D2 men's club team in Denver during her career. Now, the... NWHL turned into the Premier Hockey Federation in 2021, but left a real legacy in women's hockey. It gave us the Metropolitan Riveters, which was by far one of the most iconic hockey logos in the last 30 years. Rosie the Riveter on the front of a hockey jersey. If you have one, it's probably framed on your wall. It gave us Harrison Brown, the first openly transgender athlete in professional American team sports. And it gave us the first connections between the NHL and a pro women's hockey league. Those seeds planted then, I think, it bloomed under the PWHL. But it also had some serious funding and infrastructure problems that caused many of its star players to lose faith in the league and create the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, which is a bit of a mouthful. But the thing you need to know about it, it was that it was the best USA and Canada national team players playing against each other in a country versus country format called the Dream Gap Tour that was there to prep the players for Worlds, prep them for the Olympics, 
and give them a place to play that wasn't the National Women's Hockey League. I know this is an audio medium, Greg, but I have to show you what I have right here in my closet behind me. Yes, that is a Riveters hoodie, but this time, Rosie is a sister. It's fantastic. I'll tell you this, uh, as anecdotally, um, my daughter, uh, Vivian, who's 13 now, massive hockey fan. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. <laughs> but her first hockey game ever was a Metropolitan Riveters game. And, you know, her first piece of hockey gear ever was a Riveters sweatshirt. And to this day, I, I think she might be a hockey fan because she went to a Riveters game. And in like the last five seconds of the game, a player named Madison Packer, who's currently playing in the PWHL, almost got into like a fight with somebody. And and my daughter's eyes grew wide and she's just like, they can do that. I'm like, well, they don't really do that, but they do it in the NHL. <laughs> so like... I think there was a real teachable moment, and I give—I will always give credit to the NWHL for being the first real taste of hockey for my daughter, and I'm sure the first real taste of hockey for a lot of daughters. Greg, I love that story. So to recap, that makes four attempts at launching a pro women's hockey league in North America just this century. The Canadian Women's Hockey League in 2007 the National Women's Hockey League in 2015, the spin-off Women's Hockey Players Association in 2019, and now the PWHL. What makes this league different? Why does now feel like a good time to pursue women's hockey again? Well, I asked Jana Hefford, the Senior VP of Hockey Operations for the PWHL, that very question. And she said, first and foremost, it's the ownership group and the financial investment long-term. Now, a lot of people thought that meant that the women just wanted to be paid more. But Hefford said that it was far down the list of what they actually wanted in an ownership group. They wanted to be treated professionally. They wanted to play in good facilities, professional facilities. They wanted to have visibility on media platforms. They wanted to have housing stipends, maternity benefits, daycare. These are not things that existed in the previous incarnations of the women's leagues to their satisfaction. Having an eight-year collective bargaining agreement guarantees these things and solid salary growth that was also essential to them buying into the league. The fact that you have the national team players, NCAA players, international players all feeding into one league has made the quality of play really good so far. And the PWHL, more than maybe anything else, arrives at a time of booming women's sports popularity. Yeah. Look at the NCAA women's basketball ratings. Look at the rise of the National Women's Soccer League. I asked Jana Hefford about catching that wave, and she said, quote, we're seeing data points that prove that there's demand for women's professional sports. The timing is right. I don't know if this would have been successful even five years ago. I've said this on this program before. Women's college basketball, not only more popular and a better product, but the names, simply real stars. Men's college basketball, I don't know who anybody is. Simple as that. By the way, a big help to the WNBA's success over the years has been the investment and involvement of the NBA, providing arenas, helping with financial costs, things like that that you've mentioned have been important over the decades. And the NHL is making arenas available and involving the women in the All-Star Weekend. How does that relationship between the NHL and the PWHL actually work? Well, it doesn't go as far as the NBA and the WNBA. I think we could say that pretty, pretty clearly. Okay. You know, for years, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has talked about the need for one league. And one league that featured the national team players, 
that was in the U.S. and Canada. And now we have that one league, and to his credit, he's kept his word, and the NHL has, like you said, offered greater levels of promotion than in the past, whether it's using their buildings, whether it's a three-on-three tournament at the All-Star game. They were even selling PWHL gear inside of the All-Star stores in Toronto, which is something that really boggled my mind. If you think back to when Kendall Coyne was part of the NHL skills competition a few years back in the fastest skater competition. here practicing, talked to her before uh, the events got started. She was a little nervous about it, and who wouldn't be? But an outstanding job by Kendall Coyne. Watch the feet move there. The angles are... She wasn't even allowed to wear her NWHL gear. So the fact that they're embracing this league is a really big deal. Now, the NHL isn't really funding the league. What they are doing is giving the PWHL back-end support. For example... The PWHL had to start from scratch and building out a medical plan. So the NHL gave them the template for establishing one. They've worked with them on officiating. They've worked with them on player safety stuff. Hefford said that launching in six months would have been more difficult were it not for the NHL support behind the scenes. Oh, okay. I understand that the relationship is not yet at that of the two basketball leagues, but what reservations would the NHL have about this? Like, is there a reason why they are not all in? in terms of what they could be doing, never mind what they are. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the, the primary reason they're not all in is they don't own it. I mean, let me, let me frame it this way. Think about the NHL's relationship with the Olympics. Think about how they hem and haw every four years about sending their players to help someone else's business. <laughs> in that case, the IOC. If the NHL doesn't have its hand all the way in the cookie jar, traditionally, it's not as enthusiastic with overall support of that product. And so I think they understand the value in partnering with the PWHL. I think they know that the numbers have looked good. The crowds have been good. They certainly see the value in endorsing it or else they wouldn't have had them at the All-Star game. But it's not the WNHL, right? So I think that's one reason why they're going to support them to a certain extent, but but not to the point where they're full 100% partners. Coming up, we'll head to the barn. Greg's going to tell us about the action on the ice in the PWHL. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. 
As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Okay, Greg, so far you've given us the what and the why when it comes to the PWHL, but how has the play been so far itself? It's been good, man. It's been real good. The hope for a lot of us that used to watch the NWHL and the PHF was what does this look like when we get the best players in the world, the national team stars, to become engaged with the players that were you know, maybe like great NCAA players but never made the national teams. And now we see what it looks like. It's high quality play. It's fast. That one stopped by Natalie Spooner. Race is on for Maggie Connors. She gets by Spooner. Shoot saved by Schroeder. Lynn and a nice move in front. They score! Marie-Philippe Lynn with a beautiful passing play. Opens up a two-goal lead for Montreal. There's great skill on display in all of these cities. And the games have been really close as well. 60% of the PWHL games this season have been one goal games, including a bunch of overtime games. Tries to find a lane, drops it back. Front of the net, shoots it wide, she scores! Montreal wins in overtime. Another heartbreaker for a home team in the PWHL. So we've never really had this kind of concentration of talent in one women's league. And it kind of feels like we've been missing out, to be honest with you. Men's and women's basketball, there are no obvious rule changes outside of size of the ball, perhaps where the three-point line is. Softball and baseball are obviously different sports. Lacrosse, when it comes to mind, have very different rules for men's and the women's game. What exactly is different from that standpoint about women's hockey to men's? Well, I, for one, celebrate the differences in sports. Like, for example, I like the fact that I can play softball with a beer in my hand (laughs) versus playing baseball. Um, You know, women's hockey has long been associated with no body checking. That's kind of the thing that kind of a lot of people characterize the sport with. And the PWHL doesn't exactly make hitting legal, but it's allowed a certain degree of physicality in its games. To the point where, and this kind of blew my mind too, I'm watching the three-on-three tournament in the All-Star game. Uh, I check the television. It's on Sportsnet in Canada. And Sportsnet is running a highlight reel of the physical play in PWHL regular season games, which is not something... You don't see the Don Cherry rock'em sock'em treatment for women's hockey too often. And I... I really appreciated the fact that this league has got enough physicality that it warranted its own sizzle reel. But in the PWHL, body checking is allowed when there's a clear intention of playing the puck or attempting to gain possession of the puck. What you can't do is hit somebody into the boards as a way to take out your opponent when battling for a puck. But there are two other innovations in the PWHL that have caught the attention of NHL fans. Okay. The first is that teams will be awarded three points for a regulation win, an overtime or shootout win gets two points, and an overtime or shootout loss gets that beautiful loser point, that one point that we all have come to remember in the NHL. But the three-point regulation win, the idea that the first 60 minutes of play 
should be more valuable than anything that happens in overtime has been something a lot of NHL fans have wanted for their standings, and the PWHL is testing it out now. But the biggest change, and maybe the one that has me most excited about maybe the NHL stealing something from women's hockey, is the jailbreak penalty kill rule. Great chance, shorthanded for Toronto, and another reminder that if Toronto scores shorthanded, the penalty is over. If your team is trying to kill an opponent's power play, and you score a shorthanded goal during that penalty kill, that automatically ends the penalty for your team, essentially breaking your player out of her personal ice prison if you score a shorthanded goal. Gomfer takes a shot, save they score! Emma Malte puts Toronto on top, the penalty is over, we've got our first shorthanded goal. It's an awesome rule, the NHL should totally steal it, and I give the PWHL credit for making it part of their rules right off the hop. You mentioned organizing the 15-round draft in a bit of a rush, so let's get into that. I mean, who are on these teams? How did these rosters come together? It was kind of a two-pronged thing. The, the draft itself had 286 eligible players from 17 different countries that declared for the inaugural PWHL draft. 90 players were selected over 15 rounds of drafting. So that's like where the majority of your players came from. But the foundations for these six teams were set through free agency. Teams were allowed to sign up to three players to three-year contracts. So that allowed some of the biggest names in the sport to kind of select geographically where they wanted to play. It kind of was a nod to the fact that we do have stars in this league we're going to allow the stars to play where they want to play, and uh, and then we're going to kind of fill in the blanks around them with the draft. Of course, every sports league is driven by its stars. Who are the names for the PWHL that we need to know as it gets going? Well, Hillary Knight is a friend. She's an ESPN analyst. It's awesome that I know her because I'm like one of her biggest fans. She is an American hockey icon. She holds many, many international scoring records, plays for the Boston franchise, off to a bit of a slow start, two points in seven games. But if you're making a list of the most iconic women's hockey players of all time, Hillary Knight's going to be near the top of that list. Stepping on for Boston Knight, has some space in front of her, wrists it low, and it goes in! So would Marie-Philippe Poulin. Now, she is somebody who I have a personal connection with in that she has caused me to cry real tears with how many times she's beaten the United States in critical games, including in the Olympics. That being said, she is one of the best women's hockey players of all time, maybe currently the best women's hockey player in the world, has nine points in her first nine games for Montreal. The leading point scorer in the league is Alex Carpenter, a U.S. national team player who is a star for New York. The leading goal scorer is Natalie Spooner, who is a Canadian national team player who plays for Toronto. And Taylor Heisey is also a great story. Here comes Minnesota. Turned over right to Heisey. She scores! Taylor Heisey, less than four minutes in. The number one overall pick in the draft. 
scores the first PWHL goal on American ice. An NCAA hockey legend who was the first pick in the PWHL draft for her home team, Minnesota, and she has quite the following as well. You mentioned college hockey, as some people at this network like to say. I went to Miami. <laughs> I went to Miami of Ohio, a big puck school, but there was not a women's college hockey team. The only women on skates were the synchro skaters, which leads me to this question. How do you think this league will affect the development of women's hockey as a whole in the sport? Yeah, you know, the NCAA question is an interesting one. Uh, my colleague Ryan Clark recently wrote a really good story you can find on ESPN.com about the disparity between men's programs and women's programs in the NCAA Division I. Uh, I think that last count, there was less than 40 Division I women's programs. Obviously, there's many more men's programs, and so there's a bit of catching up to do there. But the existence of the PWHL, I think, certainly could help to that end. One of the biggest challenges in women's sports are professional opportunities to have a financially solid, popular, and expanding women's hockey league means that there could be a place for women in college hockey to make a living, which means that more young women seeking this path before college may may choose to take it. Um, so again, you can't underestimate what it means to A, have a league that women can aspire to play in, and B, also have a league that could be used as a way to encourage more women to play hockey as they're coming up. Well, those are the positives, and I'll ask you based on the last thing you said. What is at stake here in terms of the viability of the PWHL for, I guess, everybody involved? It's the best chance we've ever had for a women's hockey league to gain a foothold in North American sports as a professional league. We are, you know, around two years away from another Olympics. PWHL isn't going anywhere. And so it's going to get a huge lift when we get more USA versus Canada love fest uh, over in Italy in 2026. But for me, the biggest thing I want to see in the PWHL is that it's covered as a pro league rather than through the lens of the inspirational girl power story. Mm. Fans of previous women's leagues have rightfully griped that national media coverage, and mea culpa, myself included on this, isn't there for game results or stats or playoff seedings. And that a lot of the coverage in the past had been based on the leagues succeeding or failing or you know, talking about the viability of franchises. Already with the PWHL, I think I've seen more attention paid by papers like the Boston Globe to what's happening on the ice than ever before. It's being treated like a real league. You know, who's leading the league in scoring? You know, what does it mean for these teams in the playoff hunt? All that kind of stuff. And in fact, we saw something recently that we have almost never seen before in these previous incarnations, a trade. Oh. On Sunday, Boston and Minnesota made a trade. There's a trade deadline in the PWHL next month. So once you get to that part of like, you know, it's there's transactions to be made. We can start talking about this team needs a goalie. This team has three of them and start talking about the league in those terms as well. It, it really does bring it from the inspirational, you know, women's sports story that it clearly is to it being more of a day-to-day, here's what's going on in the PWHL type coverage, which I think is where it needs to go for it to be, you know, the viable women's league that we think it could be. 
So last thing I'll ask you, where do you think personally this goes from here? Expansion, baby. <laughs> it goes to expansion. Look, you've got some teams that are drawing in a lot of fans right now. Uh, some of those teams are in Canada. I asked Jana Heffert about expansion and the enormous success the Canadian teams have had. She says that doesn't automatically mean more Canadian teams, but wouldn't discount it. Uh, they're, they're putting games in Pittsburgh and in Detroit that could be harbingers of things to come. I know Washington was very high on the expansion radar as well for a potential inaugural team. A lot of it has to do with, you know, the financial viability of the grassroots women's hockey in the area, and also if they have a place to play. But the biggest thing I need to see from this league going forward, man, team names. Again, rip the NWHL and PHF. They had the Metropolitan Riveters. They had the Boston Pride. The Toronto Six. They own all that IP. I think they don't want to use it because of the connotation to a failed league. But I'm dying to know what they want to name these teams. I hope that they're cool. hope the branding is awesome. And that everybody can run out and, and rep these teams with cool nicknames going forward. And again, cool nicknames means cool mascots. And what do kids love? Mascots. Get more kids to the game if they can hug a big plushie. That is also representative of the team. And more mascots means more uniforms. And what do weirdos like me like? uniforms. Exactly. Exactly. Greg, thank you for your time. My pleasure as always. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.